In 2009, one woman believed she was abducted by aliens. What followed was a terrifying ordeal of alien visitation, nightmarish visions, encounters with terrifying creatures, a connection to the past, and a prophecy of destruction on the scale never seen before. Read Harvest, a true story of alien abduction by G.L. Davies, the true account that is changing the world's view on alien abduction cases. Harvest, a true story of alien abduction, is available from wherever books are sold. Should these events be true, then no one is safe. You are listening to the Paranormal Chronicles radio show. Here is your host, paranormal researcher and author of the best-selling A Most Hunted House, Gavin Lee Davis. Welcome. My name is JL Davis, founder of theparanormalchronicles.com and author of Haunted Horror of Haverford West and a new bestseller, Harvest, the True Story of Alien Abduction. Tonight's episode is brought to you by sixth-books.com. Sixth-books.com is a world of paranormal reading, so visit www.sixth, that's number six, th-books.com, and also by Victoria Bookshop of Haverford West. Victoria Bookshop is home to signed copies of Haunted Horror of Haverford West and Harvest, the True Story of Alien Abduction. Tonight is a very special episode. On this stormy Halloween Eve during a world in isolation, I will read to you an extract from Harvest, a true story of alien abduction. This is the first time I have done such a thing as being profoundly dyslexic. I find this very difficult, but tonight, for you, I offer you this. Harvest, a true story of alien abduction, is a testimony from a young woman living in Pembrokeshire who claims from 2009 she was the focus of horrific alien visitation, abduction and torture from unknown beings. Her account details UFO encounters in Pembrokeshire, witness of a variety of strange beings, a prophecy of destruction never seen before in Pembrokeshire's peaceful history, and her belief and detail account that she was on board a colossal alien craft that was harvesting hundreds of women from around the world. With recent soft disclosure from the United States that unidentified aerial phenomena is visiting our world, maybe the days of little green men and tin foil hats may be coming to an end. This reading details Susan's first encounter and how she desperately tried to rationalise the experience as nothing more than a series of coincidences and bad dreams. John Hunt Publishing presents Harvest, The True Story of Alien Abduction by G.L. Davis. Chapter 2, page 20, Seed. Susan's words. It was November, over five years ago, when I guess they first took an interest in me. I was staying with some friends. One of the parents had a farmhouse in the middle of the county. They were away on holiday. My friend said to come over, we would invite a couple of the other girls too. It would be just the four of us and a dog. She had a lovely dog, a boxer named Lenny, that I was very fond of. It was an idyllic, peaceful place. The plan was pyjamas, movies and a few bottles of Rioja. We were all studying in Carmarthenshire and working to very similar goals. I had known one of the girls, I'll call her Sean, since school and the other two, Wendy and Karen, were on the same course as us. They were wonderful friends. I miss them all so much. I've got no contact with them now. That's how strained things became. 
They think I'm just a mentally ill weirdo. You have no idea how painful it is to see them succeed in life. While I've hidden away here, I try and keep civilised with pots and pans, cookbooks, routines, but it's difficult. It'd been a lovely evening. We were very career-minded and talked about the paths we had chosen and what we hoped to achieve. Soon our professional talk changed as wine flowed. We started discussing relationships. Sean said we should call some local guys we knew that had asked us out to the pub with them earlier in the day. She messaged one of the guys to come over and bring the others and to bring some more alcohol. It was so much fun. We were excited. We were all in our early 20s, free and single, and letting our hair down. We studied hard and it was time for fun. Don't misinterpret this. We didn't want one night stands, just company. I went up to the loo. I remember it vividly as Wendy had just said something rude about one of the boys and I was giggling as I went upstairs to the bathroom. The farmhouse was an old stone building. There was a wonderfully large living room with oak beams and a great old fireplace that we were burning logs on. The staircase was narrow leading up to three bedrooms. The farmhouse was off a quiet road down a long bumpy track. The track was probably about a half a mile from the main road and descended quite steeply. The house nestled down in the fields of the valley and was circled by a row of trees and a small stone brick wall. There was another building that used to be a barn but had been converted into a garage with a nice guest apartment above that was occasionally let out to holidaymakers in the summer. I had shotgunned the apartment on my arrival and had bagged Lenny to be my guard dog and companion. The bathroom had a low frosted window with a wooden sill and face out towards the descending track. Above was a skylight. As I sat there chuckling I saw what I thought were the headlights of a car driving down the track. There was no way though that the guys had got here that quick as they were a good 30 minutes away, and Sean had only called them in the last five. I thought it was obviously someone else visiting, or they'd taken the wrong turn. Once you're on the track, there was nowhere to turn, and reversing back around the bends would be difficult. Not that I ever did such a thing. I expected to hear Lenny start barking loudly to herald the arrival of visitors. The lights continued down very slowly. I leant forward so I could see more through the frosted pane. Then they stopped. I thought the driver must have realised they'd taken a wrong turn and was considering what they were to do. You must remember that this had taken 20 seconds at the most from the time I first saw the lights coming down the track to seeing them stop. Suddenly the lights of the car went off, as did the bathroom light, and I sat there in the pitch black. There was no light from outside and no light from under the bathroom door from the landing. I heard the girls shouting downstairs and Lenny barking, and I thought the power must have gone throughout the whole house. I felt around for the toilet paper when I was bathed in a bright white light from above. I looked up and the light was fierce coming in through the skylight. There was no sound and I had to look at the light through the gaps of my fingers. I closed my eyes but it was as if the brightness had left an imprint on my retinas. I could still see it. I felt nothing of consequence. I was just a bit confused. Perhaps it was a helicopter. You often see them in the county, police ones or search and rescue. or One of those red ones that checks the power lines. I thought, can they see me sitting on the loo? I thought how embarrassing it would be to see me like that in my pyjamas and my arse hanging out. The bright light went out. It didn't drift away or diminish, but simply went. One minute I was bathed in white light and the next I was sat in the darkness again. I was perplexed and then the bathroom light came back on and I heard cheering downstairs. I realised the power had come back on throughout the house. I went back downstairs and Sean hugged me and asked if I was okay. Wendy and Karen were laughing, imagine me sat in a loo in the dark all alone. They had piled wood on the fire. The room was warm and the fire was high, casting flickering shadows on the stone walls. I remember the shadows intensely as they made me feel worried. 
like they were the spirits dancing, conjured by a tribal ritual. Sean said I'd been ages. I said I had not. I'd been no more than five minutes. She said I'd been up there more like 15. I went to check my mobile phone and it was dead. I had to hold the on button for it to reboot and start up again. I'd been gone 10 minutes, but I thought it did not feel that long. But in the commotion, I probably lost track of time. I asked the girls if any of them had seen the light coming down the drive and then over the house. None of them had. Sean said maybe it was the security light on the barn. I thought, no, this was a car coming down the drive and then a light hovered on top of the house. None of them had seen it, but they'd said that in the living room, the thick, heavy curtains had been drawn. And during the power cut, they'd gone about busying with building up the fire and the light and the candles. I was not overly concerned, to be honest. My rational thought was that maybe two incidents had simultaneously happened. One of these was that a car had got lost on the track. and a second, an aircraft like a helicopter had passed over the farmhouse. If the power had gone, then maybe it was the power line helicopter looking for a fault, and the car was maintenance men looking to fix it. It explained a lot, and there was nothing to spend any more time thinking about. However, I did open the front door to see if it was a car on a track, but I could see nothing but the stars dotted in the sky. I remember this all so vividly, like I am there. I close my eyes as I can see everything as it was that night. Back inside, I soon put the episode behind me and we drank and awaited the arrival of the boys. It was about 10 minutes later that everyone realised that their mobile phones had powered off and needed rebooting and turning back on. When Sean's phone came back on, she received a text from a guy she had messaged which said they would not be able to make it as their car had broken down outside the town they had just left. I do not think what happened at the farmhouse and the car breaking down are related at all. I guess that was purely coincidental. They had broken down nearly 10 miles away, and if the light had been responsible for cars breaking down, I'm sure there would have been an epidemic of them. We drank and laughed and listened to music. The fire got low and the living room started to get cold. We had drunk quite a bit. Wendy started dropping off and we all decided it was time for bed. It must have been around 2am when we called it a night. Sean tried to convince me to stay in and sleep in her parents' double bed with her as it was cold outside and she was not fussed with the idea of me walking outside to the barn. I reassured her, telling her that Lenny would look after me. I had a secret agenda too. I wanted to have a smoke. I kept my smoking secret as I did not think it was a good habit to have in the profession I was studying to enter. Besides, I did not want my parents knowing. Now I smoke all the time. There are far worse things to worry about than cancer. I said my goodbyes and laughed at Karen trying to help Wendy up the stairs into bed. Sean gave me a long hug and begged me to stay inside. She said I was too stubborn, but she was too tired to argue and gave me the front door key in case I needed to come back in. I left the farmhouse with Lenny on his lead. He had happily strolled beside me. It was so chilly that night, being in a valley, the temperature was cold. The farmhouse night light was on behind me. It only took 20 seconds, if that, to walk to the barn. Never felt threatened out there. Never did. Never had a fear of nature. If I close my eyes now, I can see and feel it all so vividly. I could hear an owl far off in the distance and the tinkle of the stream that ran behind the barn. I got to the barn and opened the door. There was a small hallway. To the left was a door to the garage and a flight of wooden stairs leading upwards. I walked up and opened the apartment door. It was nice and warm in there after being out in the night. The apartment was open plan with a kitchen, living area and a dining area. Tucked in the corner behind a wood panelled wall about five feet tall was a double bed with a heavy duvet. At the opposite corner above the stairs was a small toilet with a shower. Like the farmhouse, the windows were very low but much taller and there were around half a dozen skylights. It was amazing there. The work that had been put into it was superb. Lenny had jumped straight on the bed and I went back downstairs as he lay down. 
The night light on the farmhouse had gone out, and I stood there and smoked and looked at the stars. The door behind me was ajar, and that had a sliver of light, and it was so peaceful. I still remember shivering with the cold, and it did not make me recall the incident earlier. I still remember shivering with the cold, and it did make me recall the incident earlier in the bathroom. That feeling made me feel uneasy, so I quickly finished my cigarette and headed back in. I locked the door on the way up. I remember doing this, as I wondered if it was necessary. I thought though that whoever was on the track driving down could still be out there, or the lads that were supposed to come over might decide to come and play a practical joke on us later in the night. I went upstairs back in the warmth for the apartment. I used the loo and poured myself a pint of water and placed it behind the bed. Lenny had his face on his paws half asleep. I got into bed. The duvet was heavy and reassuring. The clock next to the bed, if I recall correctly, said 02.15 or thereabout. I turned off the lamp and lay there in the dark. Lenny was breathing heavily and with a combination of wine and tiredness, I dropped off. That night I had a terrible dream. What I thought was a dream. I woke up and the alarm clock showed 0318. I remember that time like it's tattooed on my brain. And then it flickered off. I felt if there was someone moving around the room in the darkness. I could feel Lenny lying heavily on the bed and heard him breathing deeply still. You can sense when someone is there. I was certain there was someone stood there in the darkness. I thought it might have been shot, though I should have heard her unlock the front door and make her way up. I sat up a little and peered around. There seemed nothing there, but I could sense it. The hair stood up on my neck and arms and a cold feeling ran down my chest to the pit of my stomach. I had to be dreaming, right? By the end of the bed, I thought I could make out something moving. There was something small. I thought it was a child stood there. I could barely make out a small slender figure, maybe three feet tall. It was just a dark silhouette, just staring at me lying in the bed. I panicked and was about to sit up when the entire room was filled with a bright white light. There were six thick, bright columns of light pouring through the skylight, and they very quickly merged into one. It was the same intense light I'd seen in the bathroom. Then he barked and jumped off the bed. I could not move. I was propped up on elbows, shielding my eyes with my other hand. I heard something crash. The light quickly disappeared and I was back in the darkness. I prayed Sean and the girls would hear this and run over. I decided to make a run for the door and get out. Lenny was growling ferociously in the darkness and things were being knocked over. I felt like my retinas had been burned I could not make anything out. The pain in my head was so intense. There was a blue smoky flash and I saw the room illuminated for a second. Like someone had taken a picture. I saw the outline of a dog, of Lenny attacking a tall black skinny figure. There was another blue flash and a high pitched ringing and I heard the howl of pain and inhuman scream. Another flash and I saw Lenny crumpled into a heap on the floor. He was still and silent. Another flash and Lenny was nowhere to be seen. Another blue flash and I saw a black featureless face mere inches from mine. I screamed. I woke up with such a panic, I bolted upright. The clock showed 0744. I had a terrible pain behind my right eye like a migraine. I reached out for the water and it was not there. I peered out of the side of the bed and the glass was broken on the floor. I presumed I'd knocked it over during my nightmare. I went to sit up, but I had terrible cramping pains in my stomach. I had a sharp piercing pain in my back. It was like period pains, but so much more intense. I knew I'd drunk the night before, but this was not a hangover. I was in severe pain. I looked around the room. I tried to orientate myself. The room looked as it did before I went to bed. Lenny was not in the bed, so I called for him. I thought that maybe during my night terror I'd distressed him, and he had found a peaceful place to lie. It took me a while to get out of bed. When I got to my feet, I quickly hobbled to the toilet and I vomited. I felt horrendous. 
was when I went to wipe my face I saw I had a nosebleed in the night and there was dried blood around my nostrils and on my upper lip. I washed my face and hands and slowly made my way into the apartment. could not see Lenny anyway. I opened the top door and looked down the stairs and still he was not there. I thought that maybe Sean had taken him out. Maybe she'd gotten up early, popped over to the barn and taken him for a walk or to feed him. It took me a good half hour to collect myself and then make my way to the farmhouse. It was a cold morning with a mist on the surrounding hillocks. Thinking about how cold and grey it was still chills me to this day. The memory is incredibly depressing. I used the front door key to make my way into the farmhouse. I expected Lenny to bark and jump all over me and the girls be nursing their hangovers with tea and toast. The downstairs was quiet and still. I made my way slowly upstairs. Both Wendy and Karen were asleep in their respective rooms and Sean was face down in her parents' bed asleep. I walked over to her and lay beside her on the bed. She stared and croakily asked what time it was and I told her. She turned and faced me and asked how I slept. I told her I had an awful dream. I told her I had had an awful dream and she said it was probably because the power cut had been played on my mind mixed with a wine. I asked if she'd been over to let Lenny out and she sat up and said no. She asked had I let him out or had I forgotten to lock the front door. I told her I'd brought him into the barn and I'd locked the door and he was on the bed when I went to sleep. She looked at me puzzled and said we would go and look for him. We woke the others and the four of us went looking for him. We never found Lenny. We never saw him again. There you have it. A small glimpse into one Pembrokeshire woman's terrifying alien encounter. Harvest, a true story of alien abduction, is dedicated to the memory and work of Kevin Malick to his wife Jennifer. Love you, brother. The investigation of Harvest, a true story of alien abduction, took me six years and had a profound effect on my mental health. This will be my last investigation. There are things that are too much for one mind. Thank you to everyone that has supported myself, my investigations, my books, and for allowing the subjects of my accounts to be given a voice without fear of, of judgment and harassment. Please feel free to venture into the unknown and read my accounts. They are testimonies that will echo through time until a day the paranormal is simply known as normal. Please feel free to read A Most Haunted House, Haunted, Horror of Haverford West, Ghost Sex, The Violation, and Harvest, the true story of alien abduction. All are available on Amazon, with signed copies at Victoria Bookshop Halford West, and copies available wherever books are sold. Thank you to everyone that has supported my books, as over 125,000 copies and counting of my books have been read. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you have a UFO encounter, then please email me at harvestalienabduction at gmail.com. I would like to hear from you. Enjoy the archives of this series. I have had the honour of interviewing the greatest paranormal authors, researchers and eyewitnesses to make this Pembrokeshire's greatest paranormal podcast. There are a few investigators that have such respect and admiration for the people I interview and for everyone who has had their own personal experience. Let me leave you with this. The world is an incredibly lonely and challenging place right now. But please remember that your life really matters. You are incredibly important. Whoever you are listening to me right now and talking to you, you are important. I suffer terribly with suicidal depression and bipolar disorder. So please know you are loved and people out there really care for you. I care for you and I'm sending you so much love right now. You have been listening to the Paranormal Chronicles podcast. 
I have been GL Davis. Sleep well. International chart topping. Haunted Horror of Haverford West has been described as terrifyingly real, a must read, shocking and chilling brilliance, genuinely worrying and chilling, utterly frightening. Don't read before bed. Described as one of the spookiest writers out there, best selling author G.L. Davies presents Haunted. Horror of Haverford West, the true paranormal account that is shocking the world. Dare you enter? Dare you read? Haunted Horror of Haverford West is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kindle, and wherever books are sold. Pray you never have to live there. Is the poltergeist syndrome the only type of paranormal phenomena that can really be proven? Read Poltergeist. A new investigation into destructive haunting today. Available on e-reader and wherever books are sold. Visit www.sixth-books.com for more information. Become the alchemist of your world. In The Secret of the Alchemist, Colm Holland reveals how you can discover the power to miraculously change the world around you beyond all recognition and for the better. Colm will tell you the story of his encounter with Paolo Coelho and his best-selling book, The Alchemist, and how discovering the secret gave him the insights to achieve true empowerment in his life and how you can too. Read The Secret of the Alchemist today. Available from wherever books are sold. Visit www.o-books.com to learn how you too can become the alchemist of your life. This is Jason Bland, host of Midwest Paranormal Presents Paranormal Soup, where we stream live as a webcast every Sunday night, 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern, with guests who will blow your mind. Live ghost box sessions where you can call into the show to see if the spirits will talk to you. And the World Wide Web of Weird, with the latest in paranormal news and evidence. We're bringing the weird every Sunday night, 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern, on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Don't forget to follow and subscribe. Paranormal entities assaulting us. Ghost Sex The Violation is the best selling true account and study of paranormal sexual abuse. Ghost Sex The Violation by GL Davis is available on Kindle and through Amazon. Pray this never happens to you. What if the after effects of a near death experience were undeniable? What if a person could suddenly produce high quality paintings of the afterlife, or if they acquired the ability to compose classical symphonies? Read Shine On. The remarkable story of how I fell under a speeding train, journeyed to the afterlife, and the astonishing proof I brought back with me. Read Shine On today on e-readers and wherever books are sold. Visit www.o-books.com today. Does Genesis teach that the human race was created by God or engineered by ETs? Read Escaping from Eden. Today, from wherever books are sold. 
GL here and before we get back to the interview, did you know you can listen to this podcast not only ad-free but with early VIP access as a TPC VIP Patreon. As a VIP you will get two digital books including my bestseller Go Sex the Violation to Keep and Read plus digital content, two extra draws in our follower monthly book giveaway and exclusive entry into a VIP Amazon gift voucher draw. This is the spooky part. All of that is just £3 or $3 to go VIP. So go VIP today so you don't hear ads like this again. Head over to www.patreon.com forward slash TPC VIP. That's patreon.com forward slash TPC VIP. On with the show.